Warning. There are things such in the world as human rights. They rest upon no conventional foundation, but are external, universal, and indestructible. Among these is the right of locomotion, the right of migration. It's the right you assert by staying here, and your father's asserted by coming here. Frederick Douglass. Hi, sir. Could you uh, pass over your passport, please? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, of course I can. I have it right here. You uh, bringing anything in? Anything I should know about? Nope, just me and the car. No, nothing. Uh, here you go. So uh, what brings you down across the border here? Oh, well, we're going to be recording an episode of the Seriously Wrong podcast. It's a comedy politics podcast. We try to do an episode every week. I'm Aaron, obviously. You saw it on my passport, and my co-host, Sean, is waiting for me on the other side of this border. All right, and what do you do for work? That's kind of my job for the most part. I do a few other things to pick up cash sometimes. We have a Patreon. If people want to support our independent leftist podcast, they can give us $6 a month and then they can get some bonus episodes. We have a, a Facebook group and really it just helps us make the show because I put a lot of time and effort into it. I treat it like my job and I really appreciate all those people who help me make it. So it is, it's kind of my job. That's that. That's, you, that's what I do. Do you get paid enough to live off of that? Both of you? Oh no, not both of us. Like it's getting really, really close to me living off it. Sean doesn't get any money yet, but we're hoping you pick up more listeners, more people choose to donate. It's still growing. So one day, hopefully. Wow. So your co-host doesn't see a dime of that, eh? No, he still works a full-time job. You seem nervous right now. Why are you nervous? I, I mean, I do sweat like this a lot and I'm always kind of, my voice is shaky. This is normal for me, but no, I am nervous because, well, you know, you, you have the whole uniform on and you get to decide whether I can go through and like, you just, you know, maybe you're going to take me into that other room over there and then who knows what's going to happen there. Like, anything could happen. I know there's laws, technically, but shit happens. So I'm sorry for swearing. I don't mean to disrespect you with your gun and your uniform or anything. Would you say that I come off like a cop right yes. now? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Like a real cop? I'd say more cop than security guard, if that's what you're asking. Thank you. Sometimes I wish my wife could understand Yeah, that. she's... I. Me too. I also wish that for you and your wife. If that's what you want. Well, you seem like a good kid. Probably just crossing the border for good reasons. Get in there. Really? You mean it? You know, you're a pretty young kid. Pretty and young or pretty young? I meant uh, pretty young. I try to not let physical appearances affect my judgment. But obviously that inevitably always happens. So my biases just as an individual here at the border really has a big influence on people's experience of the whole border thing. Just like sort of whatever my underlying biases are. And I might also mention I can't tell the difference between Muslims and Sikhs. Oh, really? The Sikh turbans? more bulbous they're often more colorful too oh that's okay necessary i really don't want to know okay i guess my opinion on that won't matter so i won't state it but oh yeah you already said i could move on so is that still valid i can okay i'm I'm gonna totally see ya in the car here get in there all right the uh militarized stop on the road there is disappearing in the distance now but a speck okay okay i think you can can come up now it's hot under that blankie (laughs) yeah i said you should get a thinner blanket but you were right Mm -hmm. he didn't peek under the blankie like i said i was worried he was gonna peek that's why i was so nervous (laughs) you know smuggling you across the border you were right it was thrilling it was thrilling like i have my passport he probably would have let me in but still thrilling super thrilling and i mean we're gonna be recording this episode on borders so sneaking through a border in order to do it i think was the right choice yeah and what a dope 
didn't peek under the blankie? What an idiot. <laughs> yeah, he totally bought my life. I was really smooth, eh? Yeah, you were really smooth. You pulled a fast one on that useless moron. <laughs> and I totally think he's more like security than a cop. Yeah, not really a cop. No. His wife's right. Your wife's right! <laughs> he can't hear me. <laughs> yeah, good he can't, though. Good he can't. He has a lot of power in that region. So yeah, I guess welcome to the show for us. And welcome to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. We are the wrong boys, and this is the wrong show. So I wanted to talk about a subject which is strange, but also very prominent in public discourse. It's Mm -hmm. the idea of national borders, specifically the question of whether they should be open or closed. You know, it's a weird little question. Yeah, it's also a funny word choice. It just caught me like it's this line on the ground that stretches across many, many thousands of kilometers, miles, and it's like open. It's it's more metaphorical than any like it's not metaphorical because it's talking about can people come into the country, can they stay in the country? But it's not even always just about the actual line at the sand. It's like about laws, about citizenship, and like how long can you stay and visas like all these things are part of the conversation about borders yeah it's not just the place itself and like not being able to pass through some yeah, like sort a of... literal open door at the border like should we open the doors or close the doors and that's the policy like <laughs> open borders is a catch-all term for like a whole realm of policies regarding yeah like belonging in a country yeah. yeah like who gets to be here or not And how easy is it to visit? How long are you allowed to stay? All these sort of questions, even the process of crossing from one country into the next through like a checkpoint or whatever is sort of part of the question of open borders. Like that's the sort of day-to-day bureaucracy of open borders. It's like when someone looks at their paycheck and they see that income tax has been taken off and they're like, oh, I hate income taxes. Like when you go through the border and you're in your car and they're like asking you questions, they maybe want to search your car, they want to know like what you do for work and stuff. That lived experience of going through the horrible dystopian Gestapo shakedown I've usually I haven't had any trouble myself, but I've heard other people having mm-hmm. and innocent people, I might add, having a tough time crossing the border. I've had some mildly negative experiences, but nothing major and kind of innocent. Well, and, and I think the conversation isn't about borders themselves, because like a border is not even a fence. It's just the line on the map. Like that's the reason Trump wants to build a wall is because there's nothing actually there. Like if you have a wall, that's making it real in a way, but it's a metaphysical thing. So yeah, if a border is just the line on a map, which represents the distinction between two territories, the political discussion isn't whether or not a line on a map should be open or not. It's not like you make a gap in the line and that's where you can get through. (laughs) The border is totalizing. It goes all the way across the edges of these countries. There's no... Although I like the idea of little gaps, like that's the place where there's a break in the border. Yeah, there's, that's where the border is open. That's a real open border advocacy, <laughs> you know? 
Or even have the border, like, have the shape of an opened door into a country. So there's, like, a border that you have to sort of, like, go around to get out. <laughs> yeah, like um, a line drawing of a door from above. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're picking up exactly what I'm putting down here yeah. about my open borders proposal. <laughs> so what we're really talking about is a border control regime. We're talking about a political and social relationship to the border that's perpetuated by human beings within a legal framework. Yeah. A regime of border control is the real question here. And the open border versus closed border question roughly approximates to, do you want to have a harsh border control regime or a more lenient border control regime? And there's a bunch of different sub-questions within that. Yeah, no, it's interesting that within the context of, yes, there will be a border control regime, which is the context of the debate in most places other than like radical fringe politics, open borders, in quotes, it's usually something that's hyperbolistically thrown at people who are saying, we shouldn't have men with guns come to neighborhoods where people who are undocumented live and take them from their homes and throw them out of the country. I think that's bad. And they're saying, oh, you're for open borders. And they'll say things like, we don't have borders if you don't enforce them. Or we don't have a country if you don't enforce Country's borders. Country's got to have borders. Country's yeah. got to have borders. But if you paraphrase that to a country's got to have a harsh and dehumanizing border control regime. It's a little bit different, but that's what they're saying. It's the same meaning underneath both instances. And that's like this metaphor that pro-militaristic border enforcement regime people, something that they'll always bring up in debates about having open borders is they're like, oh, if you want open borders so much, why don't you leave your house unlocked? Because it's the same logic, right? Is like we're leaving our the door, <laughs> door of the door. nation yeah. has been left unlocked. <laughs> that's what is meant by open borders. And that's what liberals are trying to distance themselves from when they say no one's calling for open borders. Right. No one wants to leave the door unsafely unlocked. It's a ridiculous metaphor. I like to sort of counter that with suggesting that border control advocates, what they're really advocating for is having borders between their bathroom and the rest of their house where they have to provide ID, have an, a stamp approved by an armed guard who's paid to be there 24-7. Anytime they have to poo or pee or wash their hands or brush their teeth or bathe, they have to show a picture of them from the government, get a stamp, be approved and answer questions about what their job is, <laughs> what their intent in the bathroom is. Yeah, and to make sure it's them and that it's not a replicant because you never know when a replicant's going to try and use your bathroom. But a replicant, they may have been studying you for a while, but it'll be hard for them to know all those details about you. So at least, you know, some might get through, but it's an added layer of security. So if not having a militaristic border control regime is similar to leaving the door to your house unlocked, calling for a militaristic border regime is similar to advocating for an armed guard in your bathroom. I think if someone uses that door unlocked thing, for me, I'm just going to agree with it and then be like, well, yeah, so closed borders, if you really want closed borders, you should never unlock your door again for any reason. <laughs> it has to always stay locked. Yeah, not until All we figure doors. things out. <laughs> we need to, just as a starting point, really so, lock it. No, just like, fine, I'll just order things online. And it's like, well, maybe if you pass things through the window, but when I order things online, I have to unlock my door. That's a permeable border situation that just happened. That wasn't closed borders. Goods and services 
flowed into my house. Well, that's the thing. Goods and services. This is the thing, too, is like we've got this global border control regime where goods and services fly around all the fucking place and corporations have offices in every country across the world they want. And then they pick the ones that give them special deals so they can hide their money. Yeah. How is that closed borders? Corporations don't have closed borders. Borders are working for them over time, like just helping them to evade social responsibility yeah they can go wherever they want and put their money wherever is most beneficial for them keeping their money so yeah the idea of a closed border is ridiculous people travel in and out of countries all the time like to have a really closed border no one would be going either direction truly closed like a closed door like you just can't pass through it and you'd have to have a fence all the way around everyone would think that was weird not even just weird but like ominous and horrifying it's interesting. Like, I feel like everyone would recognize that. Maybe that's one of the ways to combat this rhetorically is to do the hyper agreeing. You no, know, we need to truly close the borders. That is, everyone who's here has to stay, whether they're from here or not. And everyone outside, whether from here or not, is not allowed back in until we figure out what's going on. <laughs> the borders are closed. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by the Committee for Truly Closed Borders. We don't mess with those fake conservatives who want fake closed borders. Excuse me, honey. Can you let the real conservatives make policy? We need to close the border to vacations, food shipments. We need to close the border to newspapers, encyclopedias. I'd honestly prefer it if people within my geopolitical region didn't even know that anything existed outside of the towering walls that have no gaps and that shoot any aircrafts that attempt to leave or enter the airspace. And we want people to eat local. We want people to grow their own food. We're not going to import technology and inventions from other countries. Yeah, invent your own inventions. You're just going to piggyback off the inventions of people in other geographical regions? Come on. And the best part is, if anyone tries to enter or leave, they're shot. Well, yes, obviously. That is what a border is. Here's my, my quick impression of a conservative in name only, a wealthy elite, talking about closed borders. Oh, the border should be closed to labor migration. (laughs) Now I'm going to hop on my jet to go visit some islands outside of the border. (laughs) I'm advocating for closed borders on an iPhone that wasn't invented in the country that I live in. I'm a huge idiot and a hypocrite. Oh, I've got a subscription to a European newspaper. Disgusting. All of those wealthy elite, conservative in names only, should be shot precisely at the moment they attempt to leave the country. Yeah, because it's important to remember that borders shouldn't just exist around places. They need to exist around ideas because the borders around our ideas keep the borders around places secure. All those ideas we just stated are dangerous ideas and anyone who has them needs to be shot because those ideas breach the borders the same way that people attempting to move freely breach the borders. And harsh border enforcement regimes need to enforce all of it. So we are the committee for Actually Closed Borders. I hope you liked our little presentation uh, and we certainly were very nervous to deliver it and um, it's our first time. I haven't done a presentation like this before and thank you to this podcast for letting us sponsor yeah yeah and platforming our ideas ultimately providing a neutral platform for us to put our ideas on thank you very much wrong boys for that yeah and now back to the show 
There's also the infrastructure of a border control regime, which is fences, barriers, approved entry points, and means for traveling through them. What does it take to get through an approved entry point of a border? And there's also armed guards that claim the authority to detain people without good reason. It's unusual. Like there's, Mm -hmm. and that actually started bizarrely enough. People not having rights at the border started during the French Revolution. Oh, really? By the way, shout out to all of our patrons on Patreon who donate $6 a month to keep the show going. We couldn't do it without you. We recently did a two-part episode on the French Revolution that's pretty dope. And if you pay us $6 a month, it's not fun to ask for, but it is fun to get. You can help keep the show going. It makes a huge difference. So the first border control law in the modern world was during the French Revolution in 1793. England implemented a law that restricted French people from coming to England. The reasoning they gave was that they wanted to limit the amount of people fleeing the French Revolution, but the sort of real reason, the real politique reason, was they were worried about French Republicans coming to England and agitating against monarchy. Right, spreading their dangerous new ideas. So they were trying to keep terrorists out. That's interesting, because, like, I don't know, I think part of me always thought that borders were just, like, this eternal thing that had always existed. Like, you know that that's not true, because, you know, countries are fairly new, but, like, that... Mm. I don't know, 200, 300 years old. Guess when it became standard for everyone to have a passport and have to check in with someone in between countries. Well, just because you're making me guess, I'm going to go pretty recent and say like 1900. Later than that, but sort of close. It was 1920. Damn. Yeah. It's 100 years? That's wild. Yeah, just 100 years of modern borders. Yeah. No, it definitely just assumed way farther back than that but like if you think about it before modern transportation technology there's no reason to have these harsh controls because traveling is a huge pain in the ass and people just don't do it i mean not don't do it ever but pretty rarely do it and it's only with automobile that it becomes something anyone can kind of do whenever and Mm -hmm. so that totally tracks with early 1900s things i think it was a result of war like world war one right that's the kind of impetus for it yeah because i've thought before that borders it's this holdover from this time before we could travel around the world like i've had that thought before and that the fact of airplanes and speed trains and automobiles etc makes all these separate countries kind of irrelevant and like collapses the distance between them and that makes borders kind of untenable but it just caught on this like opposite it's not really an opposite interpretation but the idea that you only need these modern militarized border control regimes in a place where there is that amount of technology because you're kind of clinging to this past when people couldn't travel because it was hard but as soon as that hardship doesn't exist anymore and there's wars and other things going on that becomes necessary if you want to maintain those entities as they once were these countries you have to start posting men with guns on the lines on the maps well yeah it used to be and i think you have a good point that it was much harder back then you'd be on like what horse carriage sort of level of technology yeah for a long time really or walking like people would horses even back they were expensive and if you couldn't do that if you had to travel to a different town you'd walk you used to be able to just walk in a direction like regardless of the power structures of the various areas that you were passing through you could just walk through them you could just like yeah yeah it's just land you're just walking it's such a weird like the border control regime that we live under is so naturalized that it just seems 
so absurd that no one would ask you to show them a picture of them that was given to you by your king. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, right, it's right, bizarre. Right. We've been walking for so long and no one said, hey, has your king given you a little picture of you? I want to. <laughs> and the other thing, like, you're probably walking through different lands owned by different people, like different lords having lands. You walk across someone's field. And that's also all fine. It's just land. You walk across it. But now we have these like other kinds of borders where people put up fences around their land and it's no trespassing, can't cross your private property. Like it's not even just that you can't cross the lines on the edges of countries. There's also millions of little tiny borders of property lines that people set up that have a similar like most people can't afford to station men with guns at their borders of their property but some people can and even the people who can't can at least put up fences and say it's illegal and call the cops if you cross it if they want to like you can do that on your property it's a very weird locked down grid world kind of thing like literally making grids on maps and then putting fences around it and being like you can't cross these grids you can't live somewhere you weren't born unless you like ask really nicely and fill out all these forms and like meet our weird specific criteria that could include something as arbitrary as no literally the people in your country can't come here having it be an arrestable offense to live and work somewhere is weird when you reframe it yeah work is always the sticking point often like you can visit somewhere and like usually you have to leave after a certain amount of time but the way that they really make sure of that is like you're not allowed to work i'm always going to think about that when i'm on vacation from now on i'm gonna be like it's illegal for me to work here i'm always <laughs> going to keep track we now go to the planet of Wrongtopia, a global, single society without militarized borders. Even from its very inception, it's never had borders. Today, we're going to be joining the horseback nomads as they make the long journey from District 2, City 4, to District 8, City 12. One thing I learned out here being a horseback nomad all these many months, many moons, many years, many children. Yeah, you have had a lot of children. What I've learned is that it, it pays to be easygoing. It pays to be welcoming. It pays to bring people in. You know, we horseback nomads, I like to think that we're a bit more ethical than some of the other nomads. I think what drives us to the horseback, the slow and plodding animal husbandry-based transportation for us is our taste for um, authenticity. Oh, sorry, I'm going to have to steer my horsey away from your horsey and towards my younger son's horsey. I see he's waving me over. He looks maybe a little... Uh, oh, yeah, attend to your youngest son. He, That's uh, super important. Hey, Dad. Hey there, bucko. I saw you waving me over. What can I do you for? Well, you know, Dad, I was just plodding along on the horse here, as we do. As we do. I was having a think, and I had a thought. Hey, well, I'm all ears. I'm a proud nomad dad. Well, you know, proud nomads, we pride ourselves on many things, but one of the things we pride ourselves on is inventing. And uh, I had an idea for an invention. You know how on maps we have the lines between districts, but those lines on the maps, they're just kind of... Yeah, they, lines. they represent an analytical, taxonomical... I was thinking there could be little stations on the road, wherever the line is on the map, and then you can't cross it unless you meet certain criteria. Huh. They would put all of our possessions through a scanner, we would walk through like big body scanning machines. 
you also you get to wait in line. Okay, and I guess what's the point of this well, series of fences and checkpoints? District 5 jobs will stay for District 5 well, people. You're saying that people would only use gig-based smartphone apps in one district at a time? Yeah, unless they got the permission to cross the borders. Who would they get permission to cross the border from? We could set up, you know, a regime. Like, there'd have to be consequence. People who cross when they're not allowed go to jail or chase them down and, like, force them back out into the place they were supposed to be. Okay, well, you know, I got a hundred more questions, son, but I think... It just seems really cool to me to lock everything down like that, you know? I gotta have put my foot down here, and I gotta get my horse to put its four hooves down here. Well, they always do, Dad. And I gotta say, that's a bad idea, and I'm ashamed of you. I think all of us horseback nomads will hate this idea. Now, we spend time up in District 8, District 10, but you know that our winter resting place is City 6, District 2. If you put a bunch of borders, you're going to completely disrupt the cowboy nomad way of life. And I've always had this weird feeling that you didn't belong. Did you ever have that feeling? No. Oh, I always imagined, I always had this sort of headcanon that you were feeling like you didn't belong. I mean, I knew I was different, but I thought it was in a belonging kind of way. Like, you know, a lovable eccentric. No, that's good. Yeah, that's... I'll tell everyone. You know what, Dad? Don't bother. And I have to say... This idea sounds like an idea that would cause people to be stationary. It sounds like the kind of idea that a stationary would be promoting or talking about. Oh, you're right. The stationaries would really like this idea, wouldn't they? Yes. Please do not share it with them. Otherwise, you're disowned. Well, you know what? I'm disowning you first. You can't disown me. I disown you. Too late. I already disowned you first. Okay, bye. Bye. Oh, hey, so your youngest born son, did he forget something? Yeah, no, I've only got 14 children now. What happened? He was talking about going stationary. I got sort of freaked out, overreacted, disowned him. Creepy, going stationary. Yeah, weird stuff. Well, he was always a bit, Oh, yeah, it's so weird. He told me, actually, before he left, he always felt as if he did belong. He did belong? Yeah, that's how he... Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, that's part of the weirdness of why he didn't belong. Like, exactly. Do yeah, that's what I was don't. thinking, too. It's like yeah. the same thing that causes him to not belong prevents him from being able to understand that he'll never belong. Well, I, I hate to say this about anyone because it's the greatest insult I can think of, but maybe he'll do better with the stationaries. Maybe he belongs with them. You know what? Yeah. This isn't a sad story about some weird kid that didn't belong. This is a happy story of a weird kid who did belong far away from us. I still can't believe anyone would choose that. Yeah, some people... Um, creepy weirdos. Creepy, no no yeah. offense to, your, to you. Oh, no, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. He always was a creepy weirdo. Yeah, definitely. Will that creepy weirdo finish inventing borders? Will the self-important stationaries like his foolish idea? And will the horseback nomads ever get to District 12, City 6, to see the worldwide dance competition? To pay their respects at the statue of Rongtopia founder Edgar P. Rong. Listen in to the whole episode of the later second part to find out. So there's a lot of discussion about how borders are racist or how border enforcement and supporters of, quote, closed borders are racist. It's like part of the Donald Trump era because Mm -hmm. he is a racist and he supports strong borders. Yeah, not every reason to support strong borders is a racist reason, but there are many racist reasons. Yeah, and they make them pretty explicit sometimes. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But I was really fascinated to learn, and maybe it's obvious, but I was really fascinated to learn that being racist about borders didn't just start. Actually, racism and borders are intertwined 
throughout the entire history of immigration and deportation. Right. The earliest mass deportation recorded in human history was in 1290, King Edward I made a royal decree to expel all of the Jews from England. The first mass deportation in recorded history, this was after a period of like 200 years where Jewish people in English society were in this weird position where they weren't allowed to do a bunch of jobs, but they were allowed to do usury, like lending with interest, mm -hmm. because Christians were forbidden from doing usury, and Jewish people were only forbidden from doing usury to other Jewish people. So right. there was like this loophole and it was mutually beneficial with the king because he got an easy scapegoat out of it, but he also charged them really high taxes on the lending. Right. So he's getting all the benefits of the lending, but he can basically usury launder through this scapegoat, which they can routinely turn the population against for whatever benefit at the time. I'm not just slandering King Edward the first when I call him an anti-Semite. Well, I mean, already what you've told me so far sounds pretty anti-Semitic. He's actually King Edward's dad, King Henry III, he actively promoted blood libel, which is the idea that Jewish people drink the blood of Christian children. And in the year 1218, Henry III forced all of the Jewish people in England to wear little badges, signifying who was a Jew. And when his son, King Edward I, expelled the Jews from England, he seized all of their property and made all outstanding debt to the Jewish people payable to the king instead. So a mass deportation is sort of an element of border control regimes. And the earliest instance we can find of it is explicitly extremely racist. The tie between borders and racism, it points to another layer of the sort of ephemeral nature of it, because it's not just about lines on the ground and you're trying to protect the sanctity of some physical space. It's about, again, the fact that cultures and different peoples and different ethnicities, etc., developed in different places, and those people get thought of as tied to these areas and then there's this desire for some people to not just have lines on the ground but to have lines between people and they don't want them to mix up and when you're talking about border policy and open border policy and immigration that's just inherently talking about people moving across the world and different kinds of people from different areas mixing up with each other so it's like it just struck me that borders between countries is also a more abstract way of talking about it than is maybe necessary. And we're talking about borders between people. Like that's the more sort of fundamental thing there. And it's like the whole idea of having these lines, the reason for having them, the thing you're trying to maintain is different groups not mixing. It is racist, like <laughs> this sanctity or purity ideology of like we need to keep white people pure without the other people coming in. And you know, you might think, wow, Aaron, you went full SJW there. No one is saying we need to keep white people pure. That has nothing to do with borders. There's no country that recently had that in law until the 1970s. It's definitely not Australia. <laughs> no one should Google white Australia policy. That has nothing to do with any of this, you blue-haired totalitarian. And they'd be right. Definitely didn't start in 1901. But a little before that didn't happen. Did that happen? Are you messing with us? Do your own research. Yeah, sure. That's why I listen to podcasts, to be told to do my own research. <laughs> I guess the question is, do you trust Sarcastic Sean? I do. But yeah, that's a decision all listeners will have to make for themselves. So the modern idea of like immigration and border control has some extremely blatantly racist origins. In the United States, for example, actually, 
here's an interesting question. Which ethnicity do you think the States was trying to keep out? They tried to keep different people out at t- different times. But there was like a famous the China, first time. The first time. Chinese people? You're absolutely right. I knew if it. If you go to the American Border Patrol website today, there's this interesting quote. Mounted watchmen of the U.S. Immigration Service patrolled the border in an effort to prevent illegal crossings as early as 1904. But their efforts were irregular and undertaken only when resources permitted. The inspectors, usually called mounted guards, operated out of El Paso, Texas. Though they never totaled more than 75, they patrolled as far west as California, trying to restrict the flow of illegal Chinese immigration. The U.S. Border Patrol was set up in 1924, actually. But way, way back in 1875, they passed a law sort of ostensibly about human trafficking, saying that no Chinese prostitution was to come into the country. But they enforced it really heavily and assumed that everyone was lying about the purposes of specifically Chinese women coming in. Right, right, right. It was a popular idea to say, hey, you know, these Chinese people, I'm not crazy about these Chinese people coming for our gold. I'm not crazy about these Chinese people doing labor around here. So senators at the time made some interesting arguments. They said that China wasn't sending their best. To quote one Californian senator, the evidence demonstrates that nearly the entire immigration comes from the lowest orders of the Chinese people. Orders. (laughs) Such garbagey shit. Some labor leaders, and it was divided in labor circles, but some labor leaders would argue that Chinese immigrants were lowering wages for white workers. And there was a lot of claims that Chinese immigrants were criminals, that a disproportionate amount of people in the California jails were Chinese. But actually, as a ratio of the population, Chinese immigrants committed less crime than non-immigrant Californians. Mm. But the rhetoric still said that they committed more crime. Mm, It's curious (laughs) if there's any parallels to that today. No. Mm. no. Also, I didn't get this from an article that's like parallels between the origin of racism (laughs) and the Trump era. It was just like trying to find out about the origin of borders. Right. It's from actually a pro-open borders advocacy site called openborders.info. These articles definitely were making the case that border control regimes are bad and racist, Mm. but there was no reference to the the modern era in them. There was also an argument that because Chinese laborers were taking so many jobs, it was actually making white Americans commit crime because they were so desperate. And I just thought that was an interesting argument that you don't see that one today. Yeah. That's where the parallels stop. These Mexicans are taking our jobs, which is turning us Us into into criminals. criminals. (laughs) We have no choice but to deal drugs. Also, another just absolutely horrible thing. The U.S. in 1882 passed something called the Chinese Exclusion Act, which forbid people from China coming to the United States for 10 years. And following that, there was a lot of popular anti-Chinese sentiment, which culminated in some massacres. Yeah, that was the reason I guessed Chinese, because I've heard about that before. That is super fucked up. Thanks for telling me. I actually just said that to... I was talking to my friend on the phone the other day, Oliver, who's in the episode... We'd never do butt gun. Um, (laughs) Classic. (laughs) And he told me a really horrifying fact that there are human tribes, which part of their ritual of manhood is to circumcise yourself in front of other people. Mm. Um, And I said almost literally that. That's horrifying. Thank you for telling me that. (laughs) It's a real gem of a friendship, you know, where you can say that. That's horrifying. Thank you for telling me that. And also just for a quick Canadian corner when it comes to racist border stuff. What's going on in Canada, our old friend? So Canada at first didn't outright ban Chinese immigration, although they did put a head tax on Chinese immigrants. But 
eventually in 1923 they just did ban chinese immigration altogether for a while which is something that the canadian government eventually apologized for canada's immigration branch of the department of mines and resources mines? immigration was a subcategory of the department of mines and resources uh. back in the day yeah no it's interesting the u.s border control agency was set up in 1924 and canada handled border control split up across three different separate ministries up until like the 90s or the maybe the 80s but canada in particular has a nightmarish shame on its record between 1933 and 1939 there were a lot of jewish people fleeing europe the u.s took 200,000, mexico took 20,000, canada took less than 5,000. There was this ship called the St. Louis, which was carrying 930 Jewish refugees from Nazi Germany, which Canada turned away and returned to Europe, where three quarters of its passengers were killed by the Nazis. Why did they turn them away? Because you... borders. Right, yeah. I guess I was like, what's their specific justification so I can say why it's bad? But I know that it's bad. Like, <laughs> there is no good justification. When people are fleeing from regimes and countries that are war-torn and dangerous, it is the only humane thing to do to say, please, come. Now we go to two old work friends meeting up at a taco restaurant to catch up after a long time. Oh, over here, over here. I already got us a table. Jeffrey, so good to see you. Remember when we used to go out for tacos three times a week when we were co-workers? Those were we were days. taco maniacs back in the day. It's, it is really nice to do this again. It's just like old times. Ooh, and you even already got started with a guacamole to dip. Mm, don't mind if I do. Try the salsa, too. I know you're more of a guac, but... Mm, oh, yeah. Mm, mm, good suggestion. You always got your nose in a book, too, learning about something. Actually, I was just reading this really interesting book on abolishing all borders. I was really shocked to find out the immense death toll of the current border regime. Now, you think of borders as like just part of the world, right? But it actually... Yeah, you know people get turned away at borders or people get deported, but you don't often think of people dying because of borders. Oh yeah, no, borders kill, they really do. The 2017 Missing Migrants report said that around the world, over 5,000 people were actually killed or went missing in the process of migrating. That's 5,000 human beings that because of the border control regime system that we have on earth around the world ended up dying and didn't need to if you think of the company we both used to work at you know relatively small company but it's 500 people and then you multiply that by 10 and then say that was just one year they all died that is a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, according to the migration data portal, since the year 2000, over 60,000 people have either died or went missing during migration as a result of the border control regime. 60,000 people, that's the population of the city I grew up in. Pretty small city, but it's a lot of people. And what I always go to, I mean, for better or for worse, is 9-11. A little under 3,000 people died. Big, big event, obviously. Huge national tragedy, and rightfully right. so. There's been a 9-11, a border 9-11 every year since the year 2000. Yeah, and where's the public outcry about that? I think people just don't realize it. Like I said, they see it, it's it's objective, sort of normal thing, oh, the border. Like, I think about borders, I think about what a hassle it is for me, but I have a passport from a Western country. Like, I can move across the borders that I want to move across pretty easily. It's a few places it's hard to go to, but... Mm, I mean, even in the southern border of the U.S. alone, since 1994, according to the U.S. charity Border Angels, over 10,000 people have died 
crossing the border from things like heat, stroke, exhaustion, just because we don't have a border regime which admits that migration is a fact. People are always going to flee corruption. They're always going to flee poverty, drought. Well, in the biggest place that people are dying during migration right now is in the Mediterranean Sea, where migrants fleeing the Middle East, so fleeing Europe, right? civil yeah. war, drought, famine, very serious stuff they're fleeing. It's not like they're a consumer in a grocery market picking between brands of deodorant and they're like, oh, maybe I'll go to Europe. It's very severe when you uproot your family to travel across very dangerous waters at a hope of being able yeah, to... Yeah, unlike on vessels that are not guaranteed to make it. It's disgusting, actually. When you think of it in terms of statistics, oh, well, only 500 people died on the U.S.-Mexican border. Only 500 or something. As mm. if you wouldn't be absolutely traumatized to witness the death of 500 people. Since the Missing Migrants Project started in 2014, they've identified over 4,000 migrants per year dying. And in the Mediterranean alone, in between 1,000 and 2,000 a year is normal. Horrifying. And Human beings, each and every one. They were born, had mothers who cared about them. They were children. They like laughed and grew up. Human beings with hopes and dreams and families and desires for a better life and then drowning to death, you know, like struggling to stay above water until you no longer can. And, you know, your lungs fill with water and it goes black. Yeah, that's the effect of the policy regime. Oh, wow. And that's the place that Lauren Southern went with some white nationalist groups. Lauren oh, Southern, or, you know, you know, I'm from Langley. Yeah. We call her the shame of Langley. Lauren Southern went out there with flares, basically trying to draw attention to because she believes in this racist theory, like the replacement theory that by allowing migration to happen, white people will cease to exist. It's some sort of insane, weird conspiracy theory. That yeah, it doesn't the understand the difference between adding something in and replacing something, which requires that things be removed as well. And it just totally disregards the fact that we have ethical duties to fellow human beings and that when people are fleeing violence, corruption, civil war, you give them safe harbor, you treat them as human beings and you, you welcome them, you know, like that's what makes us human. You know, it's anti-human to do what Lauren Southern did. And I think honestly, she should be reminded of that for the rest of her life. And I think pelted with eggs in public anytime she shows her face. I think it's just an appropriate, proportionate thing. It's like nothing too severe, nothing, you know, like don't steal anything from her. Don't hit her or anything. Yeah. Just whenever she shows her face for the rest of her life, she gets pelted with eggs. Yeah, I mean, and being hit with eggs, don't get me wrong. It's a pretty severe thing, but it's not as severe as drowning to death. Oh, and it's Christ not like no. she just made like one bad tweet or something. She went on a boat into these waters where people are trying to reach a better life. And many of them are going missing, drowning to death and attempted to foil their plans. Excuse me, um, server. Yeah. Can myself and my friend here get two Coronas because we're going to need it. This is a really heavy conversation. Yeah. Thank and you. And burritos. Carnitas, please. Apoyo. And that has been two old work friends contemplating the human cost of borders at a taco restaurant. And now back to our show. When people think about advocating for open borders, usually you're thinking, oh, it's leftists. Leftists want to open the borders. Right-wing people want borders to be closed, generally. Mm -hmm. That's the successful frame that was put in place 
by think tanks trying to serve specific political ends. So naturally, we all believe it. But there are some left-wing people, especially historically, but even still today, who think that we shouldn't have open borders because open borders suppresses workers' wages, potentially, especially in rich countries. If you're letting in workers who are willing to work for less, your wages are going to go down. And like any, pretty much any, you know, mainstream center-left politician in the U.S. Or, or Canada, when asked about border security and stuff, they're pretty much always like, oh, of course we need border security. That's like a Bernie Sanders quote. Of course we need border security. Nancy yeah, Pelosi, of course we need to have secure borders. And the thing is, is we're going to do it smart. We're going to have a harsh border control regime, but with an intellectual twist. Yeah, well, Bernie specifically, there's that one quote from him that people pull all the time when they're trying to make this point, which is, oh, open borders, that's a Koch brothers proposal, which is a pretty bad point, Grandpa Bernie, because Koch brothers are more in favor of open borders for trade and capital rather than open borders for human beings and laborers. They could care less or potentially would be even in favor of things the way they exist now because one of the biggest contributing factors to immigrants suppressing wages is actually the fact that they don't have the same legal protections that citizen workers do so if all of the you know for example people from Mexico who immigrate to the United States had the same worker protections that people who are United States citizens did it wouldn't be legal to pay them below minimum wage. And they would also be integrated into the same legal protection system that currently exists for workers in the United States. Yeah, so under like the current border control regime, by outlawing labor that was born too far away, they create a secondary like black market for underpriced labor and create a real economic competition between like low wage workers and migrant workers who are then put in positions of like not having those rights. But also like part of the issue with like the current border control regime and how it relates to everyone's wages is that like in some countries wages are way higher than in other countries sort of arbitrarily based on like all these historical contingencies yeah some of it's arbitrary but also some of it is due to economic imperialism and colonialist history and a lot of the rich countries are countries that became rich extracting resources either like literal physical resources from other countries in the global south or benefiting from cheap labor in those countries having their companies go into those countries and make a bunch of products using their cheap labor and exporting those cheap products back to the richer countries where people can continue to grow their wealth using that so part of the argument that like oh it might depress our wages to let those people come work here is just multiplying those ill-gotten spoils. And it's hard to make the argument that everyone who lives in the West and lives in Europe and lives in North America deserves to have all this wealth a priori because we live here. And people who live in the global South or in countries that are less rich don't deserve that opportunity. Like, it's already harder for them because they'd have to move to come here and work here. But if they're willing to do that, like, the idea that we need to stop them with harsh border control regimes. Why should you get such a bonus just by being born in the right place? 
compared to other places when it comes to just ambient wealth. Just like, <laughs> it's an ethically absurd situation. Luckily, though, if you actually look at the numbers, it actually doesn't depress wages very much. Some conservative economist who looked into this and kind of wanted to make the case that it's bad for workers at home uh, did a study, and he came up with a number of about 2.5%. And so if you think about wages being depressed 2.5% because of immigration, and then you think about how much wages are depressed because of poor labor standards, poor minimum wage laws, how much wages are depressed because bosses extract as much value from their workers as possible, it becomes like pretty clear that looking at workers coming in from other countries as a source of depressed wages is a distraction from what is actually the problem, which isn't other workers it's the people who are exploiting workers really yeah the carrier of the agency and when it comes to wage problem like <laughs> when it comes to the absence of good wages the person who has the agency to change the wages is the person writing the paychecks and also systemically obviously has a benefit to keep wages low like it's a, and also, i find a lot of the time when i run into strangers who are throwing out like racist rhetoric around this stuff, that pivoting to class keeps them with you. Like, I don't lose a lot of people when I say, like, the reason your wages are low is because of your boss, not because of immigrants. Then they're like, oh, yeah, I guess my boss. Right, yeah. <laughs> your boss wants you to think it's because of immigrants because then they'd make off like bandits, laughing all the way to the bank. They get to keep all the ill-gotten gains. And then the people, the gains were ill-gotten from, come here to try to get a tiny slice of the pie. And they're like, look, it's the bad guy like the bosses got all these ill-gotten spoils they took some from you and they took a lot more from other people and then they're like oh those other people are going to come and try and leave some of the sum that i left for you you better vote to stop it it's abominable it's an abominable situation so also not only does immigration according to the best evidence we have not negatively affect people's wages. A World Bank study that was analysis on data from 1990 to the year 2000 found that something that did depress wages was emigration, people leaving the country. So not only does immigration seem to have no negative effect on wages, the opposite is true. People leaving the country seems to have an effect on wages. Yeah, and just like it bears repeating that even if it did depress wages, that's not a good enough reason to do something that's immoral anyway. If something is immoral anyway, to go for like a, a very clear cut moral situation, what if freeing all the slaves back in Civil War days might depress wages for white workers? And it's kind of like tough shit <laughs> if it does. <laughs> like it turns out it doesn't, so it's good. But like it's not a good argument anyway. Yeah, and actually, that's interesting, because we've talked in this episode about what frame we're in and what context we use. So does disproving something that's irrelevant serve your case? And I think we good-hearted people get tripped up on trying to disprove stuff that's actually irrelevant to the central... Like, it's more important to be like, wait, is this a non-sequitur or not? Right. And it's like, oh, this is a non-sequitur. Well, I don't need to respond to it. I'm going to say focus on the central point, which is that, you know, refugees should be granted asylum without prejudice. People fleeing war, dictatorship, famine, poverty, and catastrophic weather events should be allowed to go somewhere. And to me, a good left-wing politics isn't just about 
securing benefits for some small percentage of people on the planet, like workers in my home country. I don't like left-wing politics that only focuses on workers because some of the most underprivileged people in the world are people who can't work or shouldn't work. Or people who do domestic work. Yeah, work that isn't valued in the capitalist marketplace. And likewise, good left-wing politics shouldn't be privileging workers in one place or people who can't or don't work in one place over people who can't or don't work in other places. Like, the planet is not that big anymore, and we're all here together. This is one place, we're sharing it, and if we want to build a society that works for everybody 100% of the time, that actually includes everybody 100% of the time. An injury to one is an injury to all. And what I want for myself, I want for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So like, to me, that is really all you need to know, to know that there is no good left-wing case against open borders. Mm. But it turns out that it is also actually a distraction from the real problem, which is bosses exploiting workers. And it turns out that it actually doesn't depress wages very much, if at all. Yeah, it happens that all of the like claims of fact that are made by the so-called leftist case for open borders are all empirically disprovable. But it's just that you actually don't even need to bother doing that because they've already failed to remember what the question is. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing about sort of like the Rutger Bregman type utopians. And I actually kind of like Rutger Bregman. Who, who is that? He's the tax the rich Devos guy on stage said that the rich should be taxed in front of a bunch of rich people. And then he called out like Tucker Carlson afterwards. Oh, oh, he's the guy who went on Tucker Carlson and Tucker Carlson got really mad at him and then swore and didn't air the segment. Yeah, but it yeah, leaked on guy. the internet. You've okay. been part of the yeah. Cato Institute, right? Millionaire funded by billionaires. That's what you are. And I'm glad you now finally jumped the bandwagon, you know, of people like Bernie Sanders and AOC. AOC, wait, what can I just say? And it's I'm, true, right? You're all like, oh, I'm against the globalist elite, blah, blah, blah. It's not very convincing, to be honest. Why don't you go yourself, you tiny brain, and I hope this gets picked up, because (laughs) you're a moron. I tried to give you a hearing, but you were too annoying. Yeah, so he's got this book, Utopia for Realists, and he's got a section about why open borders is good. And I, I actually enjoyed the book. It's revolutionary in a sense, but it's also very sort of committed to like sort of a reformist approach and respectability. Like signaling is not radical, being like, I'm a utopian, but I'm also a centrist. Right, right, right. Um, I can appreciate that. There's room for it in the discourse, for sure. Definitely. When I read his book, something that I highlighted and then pulled up for this episode, I just thought was interesting. Even if you're not going with a fully open borders, like radical approach, even just letting in more immigrants from the developing world into richer countries boosts the economies of the countries that they leave because they send money back to their families. Mm-hmm. So like by letting in 3% more immigrants into the into developed countries, the world's poor would get a combined $308 billion more to spend. So it's just a really effective way to fight poverty in other parts of the world is just let in slightly more immigrants. Right. Obviously, totally insufficient in itself. But that's his whole approach to the open borders thing is to be like, well, this stat is wrong. Like they say this, but it's actually this. Or you could be like, well, what's the effect of open borders on GDP? And he's like, they say it's bad, but it's actually good. And it's like, no, the question is, should people die in the sea? You know, like it's, it's. But it's it's a valuable yeah, part it's of the both. Disc- I, both <laughs> both are good parts of the discourse for sure, because some people, unfortunately, are actually like, yes, they should die in the sea, because I care more about GDP than that. And you can be like, oh, okay, well, 
that's horrifying, but it is good to know that it actually isn't bad for GDP. It actually helps GDP. We now go to somebody's utopia, a world perfectly bordered from border to border. There's borders. Do you mind if we stop off at the mall quickly? I need to pick up a few things. I'm in. Just pull into the parking lot here and... It's been a while since I went to the mall with my dear friend. That's a welcome change of pace. And here's the doors to the mall. So I'm just going to quickly take off my shoes, undo my belt, yeah. remove everything from my pockets, put it in this tray. Yeah, that's me. I know it's an older passport, but it is me. What are we doing at the mall? I just need to get a few things at the department store. And you know what? I think I might even grab a coffee while I'm in here. Hey, mall day. Mall day. <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah, you got to work at All a mall. Right. Through the metal detector. Is this one of those scanning machines that sends images of my genitals over the internet? Oh, Oh, it's of my whole body, including my genitals. Oh, that's a lot better. That's weird. I'm friends with him. I've never seen his genitals. You barely know the guy. You've seen his genitals. Weird thing about borders, I guess. I always feel so safe. Yeah, seeing all the armed guards. Yeah, going through the borders. Well, I think if you had people just from anywhere. Any part of town. Just swinging by the mall. neighboring towns. Just coming into the mall. What if they bought all the stuff that we needed? What if they had a completely different culture than us and we were in the same mall? TGFB. That's what I always say. I do want to get that coffee. I could go for an iced sweet tea. Why did I even put my belt back on? Oh, yeah, got to take the shoes off. (laughs) Back onto the scanning tray. Yeah, yeah, this is my passport. It's actually about a seven-year-old photo. Oh, I'm just a coffee addict. That's why I'm heading into the coffee shop, you know? I just, like, can't make it throughout the day. Time to scan my body. Oh, that's a familiar feeling. Yeah, so I'll take an iced sweet tea, please. Triple espresso in a decaf coffee. No, the espresso is obviously not decaf. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. You know, I insulted that beverage until I tried it when I really needed it. And when you try it, it really makes sense. Yeah, I hate the caffeine that's in regular caffeinated coffee, but I love the caffeine in espresso, and I love it. All right, it. oh, gotta take my belt off again, the tray, and the... Yeah, here's my passport. You remember me? Marcel Moritz. It's a hyphenated last name. Yeah. Why do we want to leave the coffee shop? Oh, because we already completed our purchase. Actually, I kind of want to opt not to be scanned. Can you physically touch the crevices of my body? Oh, yep. Yeah, no weapons still. You might remember from the full body scan you gave me briefly ago, but I guess for our safety... You know, there's nothing like a relaxing day at the mall. Mall day. Anyway, department store. Uh, I'll just take off my belt again. I'll put my uh, my iced tea on the scanning tray to make sure there's no weapons inside of it. My shoes. Yeah, here's my passport. Yeah, it's a seven-year-old photo of me, but it is me. Go through the metal detector. Perfect. Scanning my body. You opted for the body scan again this time. Oh, I like Didn't to mix like it up. Touched. Hey, which one of us uh, from the body scans is bigger? No. Yeah, Are you I asking ask. about our genitals compared? I was thinking of it, but I didn't fully ask. So, what do you want to grab? Butter. Dairy aisle it is. Heading into the dairy aisle, of course, another border here. I'll just take off my belt. Yeah, there's my passport. It's an old photo. It's a hyphen in Aaron's last name, actually. Scanning my body now. Oh, what am I doing in the dairy section? He wants to buy butter. I haven't decided, actually, on salted or salted. I'm nervous about picking one because if I pick the wrong one, I'll have to come back through the border again. Oh, I just inhaled that sweet tea. I mean, waiting in line for the borders. I get nervous. I start drinking, drinking, drinking. Nervous sips, yeah. yeah. I don't know how to say this, but I gotta pee. I sure, yeah. You head to the gentleman's room and I'm gonna cross the border into the cereal aisle. Sure, yeah, yeah. Hi, sir. So you want to enter the bathroom today? Yeah, yeah, I do. For yes. what reason? I drank my sweet tea very 
tea very fast. Was it sweet tea or sweet tea? Let's sweet, get your stories straight here. It was here. sweet tea from the coffee restaurant. See, okay. Uh, that, yeah, you just set off the metal detector. Sorry, what I forgot that? to take off my belt. There's not a bomb in the belt, is there? No, 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 nothing like that. Yeah, you know, like, I think secondary screening. We're, no, I really have to... Sir, I'm, um, this isn't an option I'm giving you. We're taking you aside for secondary screening. Oh, okay. I'm just going to yeah. be patting the inside of your legs here, up to your groin. I'll just pat above your genital area pretty hard. Uh, uh, Sir, I, I, what is that? That's a what, full what bladder, is? sir. I'm busting at the seams, sir. Full bladder. Okay, likely start. I'm gonna need some backup here. Can you help me here? Just help me push on this man's oh, body. Oh, sure, sir. Oh no, please don't push on my pelvic area. Oh, push here, sir. Yeah, push as hard as you can. Uh, guys, I, I. Do you I, feel I, a gun? No. I don't feel any gun. Yeah, I don't think there's. A gun. I really have to. It's 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 it's. Okay, so, so we're just gonna have to run a few things by our supervisor. Can you just sit down on a seat and uh, just wait? We're gonna leave I the room. Stand and sort of dance a little? No, you're going to have to sit down on the seat. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, man, I shouldn't have chugged that sweet tea so fast. Fifteen minutes later. Oh, oh. All right, oh. so, yeah, we ran your passport. Everything seems in order. This picture, though. Seven-year-old is a ten-year passport. Yeah, you should probably maybe get that updated. Oh, I it's guess every yeah. ten years. You're allowed to go through. Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, uh, woo! Woohoo! Yes! Yeah! <laughs> oh. Oh. oh! Yes! Still going. One thing I always say is that having to hold it really makes you understand how good it is. If I didn't have to wait, I would never, I wouldn't really even appreciate it as much. A utopian world where everything is completely safe, secure, and separated by militarized borders at many, many necessary points in society. It's not our utopia, but it's somebody's. The way that we talk about things really matters, carries big implications in how what we say is interpreted and how people even reason about these issues. And I think that a funny metaphor, the open door, closed door metaphor of borders is impairing our understanding and it's impairing the public discourse where even extremely intelligent people that I know that want the best for the world are talking about borders in the frame of open borders versus closed borders. So how do we break this frame and frame it in a different way that the conversation is the right conversation? One of the ways that we could reframe the debate you actually brought up earlier, which is important, is that borders are not between nations, they're between people, that it's about people, and mm. like always bringing it back to people, and like how absurd is it that there's a guy with a gun who has to look at a picture of you when a person's walking down a street? So it's about people, right? It's about, in the end, like that's where the debate is breaking down is what are people allowed to do? Like we already have open borders for money and trade. Why don't we have open borders for human beings and human lives? Another reframing we might want to use is talking about being trapped. The question isn't should we have open borders or closed borders? It's should people be trapped or should people be free? Nation states as kidnappers of the population and borders is like this like elaborate ransom system and like because <laughs> you do you have to pay fees to get the picture with the stamp on it. They're keeping us locked in the proverbial basement of the one country we were born in. The nation state, our kidnappers. I like that. What's the word for adults? Abduct people, I guess. I was just got caught on kidnapper. Kidnapping so, is some vulgar slang. Kidnapper is a fucking weird and hilarious word. Like, oh, that's a kidnapper. He just naps up the kids. <laughs> that's a 
kidnapper. <laughs> I guess if someone successfully kidnaps you. They're making you like a child in yeah, a sense. Yeah, the, the definition of the word is reducing you to a child. I think, yeah, we need to not use the word kidnap for that reason because abductees deserve to be treated with dignity, not as children. Yeah. Let's call them what they are, abductees. Or, no, person first language, people who have been abducted. So everyone who lives in a country right now and has citizenship in a country is a person who's been abducted, in a sense. I guess not in the same way. I don't want to equate those. But I do want to use the more traumatizing one as a metaphor for the more subtly but vaster trauma. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's good rhetoric. And also, I think as a general rule, you can make comparison along metrics that aren't severity. The same in scale, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's important to retain that in the things that are okay to do pile. And the whole framing open borders, closed borders doesn't serve our objectives well it's it's designed specifically with undermining our objectives in mind with that maybe we should make the case for open borders fully open borders what do you think let's do it let's open those borders and we both like run up there's like a big switch and it's currently in closed position (laughs) labeled borders and we're just like both put our hands on it like here we go it's like this full (laughs) on on the maps everywhere all the like lines just swing open like little 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 doors (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe they're like sliding doors instead of swinging open because you know what a little they knock out of the way yeah, on that's maps true. it's huge so. or what if you get caught down in the pizza slice of a corner and have to walk <laughs> all the way around this border to get out <laughs> i say we just slide those borders straight off right into the ocean make new global maps that don't have any lines <laughs> it's like the deep ecologist position on borders if you want to end the borders you have to start by ending lines Like, lines are the real start. That's where humanity really went astray. Kill the line, kill the border. Well, I've already said this, but it also bears repeating. The Earth is our home, our collectively, humanity, and it is our shared heritage. And to say that certain people belong to certain parts of that globe and you have to stay there, the lengths that you have to go to to make that the case are horrifying and harm real people all the time yeah there's there's no way to make borders real without causing a bunch of like unnecessary pain and strife like if your dream is to have borders that just involves like arresting people more yeah something that that i wrote down here there's no actually utopian vision of borders because border enforcement is violence there's like a more subtle forms of violent border enforcement like if you had like sort of a dystopian tech surveillance network that like you know you don't physically stop anyone from entering but like you get turned off or something your bank accounts get frozen if you're in the wrong place like you could think of ways that don't technically use overt violence but there is no way to stop people from moving around the globe in a world where we just have so many different technologies now for moving around the globe we're the best at locomotion we've ever been and we're refusing to just like fully live up to our potential and let labor move around Think about all the return flights that won't be taken if we don't make people go home. It's good for the environment. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, when I was thinking about this, like, okay, let's make the case for open borders. Like, part of me is, like, open borders just is. It makes the case for itself. We have all this transportation technology, and people want to move. They want to go around the earth and see different places and be able to live there. So they want to be able to work and stay there. That's just obvious. People want that. You have to make the case that 
preventing them from doing that is good. That's the thing that needs the burden of proof. Mm -hmm. The violence is the thing that needs the burden of proof. And as far as I can see, there's nothing that meets that burden of proof. There's nothing that justifies not having open borders. I think you're right. The burden of proof is actually on the very temporary and new, explicitly, historically, and contemporarily racist system, which very clearly kills people every year, very, very clearly makes the world a worse place for many, many people in many, many different ways. Yeah, the burden is there. Yeah, if you want to continue a harsh control system on the movement of people that maintains systemic privileges for certain groups of people based on where they live, like, you got a lot of explaining to do (laughs) for why you think that's good. Did we just hit the bottom of this when we realize that it's about our relationship? between human beings, not a relationship between human beings and borders, and that we as human beings have a responsibility to help those who need help whenever we can and set up systems to efficiently help the thousands and thousands of people who clearly need help year after year, which we systemically let die instead. Is that the bottom? I think we might have hit the bottom. Refugees should be granted asylum without prejudice, I guess. We now return to Wrongtopia World News Network. The former nomad boy genius who was elected to World Congress just this year introduced a revolutionary piece of legislation, the world's first border. Today we are talking to the newly appointed Minister of Immigration and Border Control about today's star-studded opening of Wrongtopia's first border. Welcome to the show, Minister. Thank you for having me on, and thank you especially to Boy Genius. Your wandering nomad mind stumbled upon something gold. I come from a long line of stationaries. Yeah, me too. I guess it's true what they say. Not all nomads are bad. So I got my identification today, the piece of paper with my picture on it that I'm going to have to show at the border. The identification for the border. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, I love how I wasn't allowed to smile in the picture, so I just look kind of awkwardly frowning, looking forward. That was a real thrill for me, Mm -hmm. and I can't wait to show it to someone who has the ability to deny or allow me passage. Do you know what the cool thing about that non-smiling face is? It's actually Mm -hmm. used for um, automatic computer face recognition. Oh, Uh, So you're actually stored in a database forever. You know, well, that makes me feel immortal that is wonderful you know who's not immortal is people who try to break border laws and i'm here to wag my finger at that be careful everyone we've made it very dangerous and that's meant to dissuade you fascinating wonderful you know i just can't believe that nobody thought of this before it's such an obviously good idea it's such an obviously beautiful change into society. And once this border is successful, I hope that we make tons of borders, lock the whole planet down with borders everywhere. That's, well, that's the dream. As the hour is counting down, the first border will open in about 60 minutes. We're going to go live to the lineup. People are already lining up. They're very excited to cross the border. Hi, and thank you. I'm here in the field talking to people up close and personal, waiting in line for the opening of the first border. Hey, excuse me, miss. What brings you to the border opening? I couldn't be more excited. I have this belt here ready to take it off if they ask it of me. I have this purse. My husband never cares about what's in my purse. And these people at the border are going to look all through it. I think that's just wonderful. Thank you for your time. Sir, what excites you most about the first border opening? Well, you know, I always liked lines ever since I was a little kid. Seeing people all in a row 
one after the other. It's very orderly. That's why I love lines. And that's why I love the idea of this border. I don't even have anything I need to do on the other side. I'm just going to go through and then get in the lineup on the other side to come back. I'd say I dreamed of this moment all my life, but I wasn't I wasn't a genius enough to dream of this moment because I didn't know it was possible. And I just want to thank Boy Genius for his mind, his vision, and for making this old man proud. And I've got to say, that is the consensus from everyone. Everyone I talk to is saying they're excited to apply to walk through the border. There's a big group here even that seem to be more cheering for the idea of lines, lines themselves. Back to you. The hour is counting down, and I'm so excited. I have butterflies in my stomach just thinking about this border is about to go live. The Ministry of Immigration and Border Control does have a solemn warning. Why don't I just let you deliver that now? Thank you. This is uh, No Laughing Matter. We've intercepted private domestic communications, which have shown that some citizens of Wrongtopia intend to ride their dinghy around the seasided border at the sea in a dinghy to evade the regime that's been set up. And I want to give the solemn warning to everyone that your dinghy better go 500 meters out because that's how far the border mounted Tommy guns can reach. So you better hope that your dinghy can reach at least 500 meters. That's my solemn warning. The moment is here. We go live to Wrongtopia's first border where Boy Genius himself, dressed up in a little outfit as one of the immigration guards, is there to inspect the first supplicant at the border. Thank you, everyone. It's me, Boy Genius, on my big day. Moment of truth. The lineup is here, and because it was my idea, I get to evaluate whether or not the first person in line is allowed entry. So bring bring him over. Hi, son. It's me. Dad. It's your dad. Dad, I, uh, I thought you said that I didn't belong. Well, sometimes fathers make mistakes, and just seeing how you've accomplish this goal, seeing how you've changed the world for the better. I'm more proud of you now than any of your 14 other siblings. You're now my favorite child. (sighs) Thank you, Dad. This is the best day of my life. Can I see your uh, papers and identification? Papers? Which papers? Uh, what? Dad, you didn't apply for a identification document with the Identification Bureau with the regime? No, I must have missed that part, and I didn't realize that was... <laughs> missed that part? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, you can let me through, though, right? No. The first border crossing is an illegal, nepotistic border crossing because the boy genius who had the great idea to open the border in the first place had a soft spot for someone? That goes against the violent bureaucracy of borders. Well, come on, son. You know, we need this. We don't have a dinghy that goes 500 meters. You've got to join up with the rest of the horseback nomads. They're already on the other side. This was just a formality. I'm sorry, Dad. How long does it take to get one of these papers? Can I? Can you give it to me now? You know, it takes 14 months. 14 months? This was all up on the website from the announcement of the border, right? But do you not I read? On the we- no, I didn't uh, read. I was too busy get- being proud of you. It's so weird. You became proud of me at the precise moment. I learned to not be proud of you. No, son, don't say that. I'm a boy genius. Get out of my face. I've got the world's first border to administer. And so, Wrongtopia's first border was a rousing success. If anyone tried to cross without permission, they were hunted down and deported back to the proper side of the border, possibly detained in prison-like environments. And one minor down note to a 
positive, beautiful story of hope and change was that the boy genius's father, while waiting the 14 months for his documents to arrive, the stress and isolation of being separated from the other horseback nomads from the life that he had known for the entire time he'd existed on the earth was too much strain. And the heartbreak of being rejected by his son just at the moment which he'd come to accept him, all of it, it was just too much for him. And he collapsed one day, never to awaken again. The end. That's what happened to the dad of the boy genius. And that wraps up my bedtime story for you, dad. So have a good night. The dad died just at the moment that he was became proud of the son. That's like, you don't tell that to a dad just before he's going to bed. It's, you're going to give your old man nightmares. Sorry, dad. It's just a scary story for dads. It's from the collection. Scary Stories for Dads, which I got at the book fair. Okay, wow. I read that one. I guess if you wanted to give your old man nightmares, mission accomplished. Yeah, I think there's also sort of a lesson for dads in there about being proud of one's son. That you shouldn't be proud of them in the end because then they'll turn on you and you'll die? No, no, you should be proud of them all along or else the cold, unfeeling hand of bureaucracy will crush you. Oh. And it won't be his fault, but it's still still happen. That does make sense. Okay. Yeah, it's a bit better. Okay, so well, yeah, thank you for telling me the story. Could you tuck me in? Oh, yeah, just here around the edge. Here you go, Dad. That's a comfy dad. Oh, a little kiss on the forehead. I'm so lucky to have you as my son. Oh, so and because you had your bath tonight, I'm going to let you sleep an extra 15 minutes before I wake you up, okay? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, I'll come and wake you up. And that's because you took the bath tonight. Remember that. Oh, thanks, son. I love you. <laughs> I love you too, Dad. No, here, just one more for the forehead. Oh. <laughs> Don't have too many nightmares. One, two, three. Maybe something's wrong. I woke up this morning knowing I was right. Thank you so much for listening, y'all. God bless. Go forth into the world, and wherever you see borders, open them, no matter what they are. (laughs) If it looks like a border in any way, open it. (laughs) Have a great week. Next time on Seriously Wrong, Sean visits a fortune teller who predicts that we will end all borders by the year 2119. I don't know that I believe it myself, you know, fortune telling, that's not scientific, but it's still soothing. And I thank the fortune teller for answering my questions that didn't relate to my personal relationships, but actually related to the fate of humanity. And I mean, sometimes I get mad at Sean for spending so much money on the fortune tellers. I'm like, Sean, that's not good for your personal finances. But when I see how soothed he is afterwards, like, oh, maybe it was good. I'm like, oh, 2119, thank Thank goodness. You might not live to see it, but your children just, might. Yeah, knowing that it's coming, it's it's just, thank you, Psychic. And I know I'm a little bit behind on paying for some of the readings. <laughs> as soon as the first of the month comes around, I'm good for it.